Guardian Unlimited. Hello, assalamu alaikum and welcome to Islamophonic, the Guardian's weekly podcast on Muslim life in Britain. It's been four years now since the US invaded Iraq. In today's programme, we look at ways forward, at some of the suggested options available to the country, and we also hear from Iraqis living in Britain about their experiences of Iraq. It's like hell, basically. The last time I called my grandmother, which was yesterday, she said that just last week they had 40 funerals in the street where she lives. She said they can't go to the market to do shopping. They can't go out anywhere. You go out and you might never come back again. So they always have to say goodbye to each other before leaving the house. The mentality that we want to stay in, this is our country, we want to stay here, we are happy here. We'll try. Maybe we can go away for a month or so and And things will be better. But I think it is not easy for them to leave the country. What are the most important things for them? Are they more concerned about having a democratic government? It's or safety. Safety. All. safety. They just want safety to be able security. to go for their children to go to school and come back alive. Those interviews were recorded at the al Khoi Foundation, which also has two schools attached to it. That's what the screaming was, by the way. Kids in classrooms, no Iraqis were hurt during the making of this podcast. Joining me in the studio are Ali Latif from Iraqi Prospect, which is a network of young Iraqi exiles in London working to promote democracy in Iraq. We also have Taji Mustafa from Hizbut Tahrir, which is a British political party. Global political party. A global political party, sorry. And we have Brian Whitaker, who works for The Guardian, a veteran commentator and writer on the Middle East. Hello. 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 Welcome to the studio. Do you all agree that addressing safety in Iraq has to be the priority? Ali. Yes, I do agree, and I think that's the priority at the moment, uh, to establish security so that the Iraqi civilians can work towards rebuilding a country that has undergone decades of dictatorship and war. And uh, what we're seeing now is I think no one has really expected. Taji, what do you think? Safety? Absolutely. Absolutely. Without safety and security, if we couldn't walk the streets of London, um, we'd all be screaming for the same thing. The sad tragedy for the Iraqis, unfortunately, is that they had one tyranny of Saddam, who was at times a Western-backed dictator, replaced by another tyranny, which is a brutal occupation um, of of their homeland, which has resulted in the death of hundreds of thousands of people. So definitely they want uh, safety. And I think knowing that a lot of the attacks in Iraq, 75%, according to the Brookings Institute, is directed at the occupying forces, then really the, the, the sooner they leave, then uh, it will really bring down the level of violence. OK, well, we'll come back to withdrawal later. Have you got any more thoughts on this, Brian, security situation? Well, ov- obviously, if you're living in Iraq, then survival is your priority. But I think if we're considering the priorities of uh, other countries, then uh, I would say the important thing really is to ensure that the conflict doesn't spread outside Iraq either through growing conflict between Sunnis and Shia or involving the Kurds. Now, our Iraqis have given us an idea of what pressures their friends and families are under. And earlier this week, I spoke to The Guardian's correspondent in Iraq, Michael Howard. Michael's half Iraqi and he's been covering Iraq for us for five years now. I asked him about the security situation. 
there will be no security until Iraqis themselves can reach a, a sort of political agreement on, on the kind of country in which they want to live. And they're still some way away from that. I think in terms of the government, they would like to see you know, a government that can deliver, can deliver the kinds of things that will improve their daily lives and give them some hope. So their priorities really are to address the basic needs of security, health care. Yes. How is that going to happen? You have to bring a more technocratic government into power. At the moment, it's still divided along ethnic and sectarian right, okay. lines. Ministers and people within the ministry get their positions not because of their ability to deliver, but because of their, because of their party loyalties. So I think that's one major problem. Another is it's a political issue. There has to be some kind of uh, agreement that, yes, this, this violence is getting us nowhere, whether we agree with the occupation or not, this is, this is our country yeah. and uh, its future is in our hands. And, and still there are people who are, who are fighting old battles, who have refused to accept the new situation mm. in Iraq. Many ordinary Iraqis are waiting in the hope that their new political leadership will, will sort of adjust to, to power and begin to exercise it with, with a certain amount of humility and, and purpose. Michael, do Iraqis want withdrawal? Several opinion polls have shown that most Iraqis do want a withdrawal, but the most vociferous in the campaign for a U.S. troop withdrawal is the movement of Muqtadar al-Sadr. Mm. Now, you know, even his people are saying, look, we're not arguing for immediate withdrawal because that, the country just couldn't withstand that at the moment. But they do want uh, the government of uh, Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki to set a clear timetable for withdrawal. I was going to say, what are the consequences of an immediate withdrawal? Would we see an increase of sectarian violence and anarchy? Right at the moment, you know, the country's security forces are simply not ready to take on the burden of, uh, of responsibility. And I, I, think, I think we would see more chaos. I think uh, we'd see more sectarian cleansing and ultimately the interference of the neighbours and the division of Iraq. That's all, that's all on the cards. And, you know, that may happen anyway, but I think it would be criminally negligent to withdraw all foreign forces now. You talked about obstacles to forming a consensus on the future of Iraq. How do you see those obstacles being overcome? Well, I think, first of all, there has to be some uh, commitment, and not just a, commi a, a commitment in words, but a commitment in action to national reconciliation. You know, I mean, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking that what we see in Iraq right now is the, is the result of three years of the ineptness of the way that the U.S. has managed the occupation, which you know, most people accept it's been pretty much of a disaster. Iraq bears a legacy of three decades, 35 years mm. of totalitarian rule under the Ba'ath Party. It needs a process, um, perhaps a, some, some kind of truth and reconciliation process like we saw in South Africa. I mean, it's, perhaps it's even too late now, and this should have been implemented, in my opinion, in, directly after the war. There must also be an international uh, compact to help security. Uh, and reconstruction of the country. I mean, um, you know, there, there is no doubt that um, many of Iraq's neighboring countries are interfering, meddling in uh, Iraqi internal affairs in order to pursue broader goals that they have. So I think there needs to be both an internal and an external agreement before, you know, stability can be achieved. But ultimately, the outsiders can only really just support what is going on inside Iraq, and it's, it's ultimately up to Iraqis to, uh, to make decisions for themselves. Well, the aim of today's Islamophonic is not to look back at the invasion and whether it should have happened, 
or even if the occupation has been successful, I think we can all agree that it hasn't been. What we're going to try and do is look at solutions and the way forward for this country. Now, our studio guests have ideas of their own about what they think should happen. Taji's organisation, Hizbut Tahrir, recently published a document called Iraq, A Way Forward. Taji, can you summarise in three points what you think should happen in Iraq? Okay. Um, well, as part of an organisation that's been on the ground in Iraq for the last 40, 50 years, um, some of our members were murdered by Saddam Hussein and unfortunately also under the occupation, as, as, as has happened to other Iraqis. We believe that, firstly, the root of the problem in Iraq today is down to the occupation. Most of the attacks are against the occupying forces. And so the end to that occupation um, will reduce a lot of the violence on the ground. Secondly, Iraq is the latest legacy of Western government interference in the Muslim world, really since Napoleon invaded Egypt, if you like. We have support for dictators in Saudi Arabia, in in, uh, in Syria, in Sudan, across the board. So Western governments seeking their own interests have interfered in the Muslim world and which has led to a disaster for the region. So there needs to be a withdrawal from the region as well of Western forces. And thirdly, that what Iraq needs going forward, which is the work of a lot of our members on the ground there, is they need a political model which has popular support, which is in line with the people's beliefs and their values, being mainly Muslim, and which is able to unify the people. We believe that's an Islamic system, the caliphate, which ruled in Iraq for nearly 1,300 years and brought stability. Ali, would you like to respond to Taji's suggestions? Well, um, I know from Taji's comments, you'd think that um, uh, you know, a return to the uh, caliphate will um, you know, uh, bring all the answers and solve all of Iraq's problems overnight. But... Um, the whole not overnight, of course. Yes. Okay. Fine. Um, but um, the, the f- there, there's two points. Firstly, the occupation has not caused all the problems in Iraq. The the, the invasion the invasion removed an old established order that had been around for centuries and centuries beforehand that was not representative to the to the Iraqi people or to the rest of the Muslim world, as well as. Um, not being accountable to its people. The um, the idea that Iraqis would welcome a caliphate, um, just think about the historical narratives of uh, the Shi'i population, which represents 60% of Iraq's population. They were largely marginalized for centuries and centuries of uh, rule under the, the, the caliph. So um, the idea that they would support a return to that, I think, is quite ridiculous. If we are looking forward, we want a system that is going to represent the people and is accountable to the people and allow them to express what they desire. And that will only occur in a democratic framework. Okay, so we've heard that Hizbut Tahrir are very keen for a caliphate to be established in Iraq. I put the idea of a caliphate to our Iraqis at the al Khoi Foundation and asked them whether they thought it could work over there. You can never turn Iraq into a a caliphate, a Sunni caliphate, it's just never going to happen for the simple reason that you cannot fight the demographics that 70% of the Iraqi population is Shiite. And people forget, even when they talk about the Kurds and they say the Kurds are Sunnis, well, not all the Kurds are Sunnis. Large minorities of of Kurds are Shiite, Mm -hmm. and then there are Turkmen, and the Turkmen who are neither neither Arab or Kurd are overwhelmingly Shia as well. Mm -hmm. So it's very complicated. Then on the other hand, nobody can turn around and say, well, we're going to make a second Iran in Iraq because it's just not going to work. So a caliphate wouldn't prove too popular with some Iraqis. Do you think it could work, Brian? Uh, no, I think it's ridiculous, basically. Um, 
The problem in Iraq is that there is really no practical solution at the moment. Uh, I think there are a lot of internal power issues still to be worked out there. I see a lot of parallels with the civil war that uh, raged in Lebanon for 15 years. And really, I think it's going to be a matter of time. I don't think there's very much that anyone can do at the moment. Uh, I think it'll be another 10 years or so before we see anything emerging. Let's just go back to the point of withdrawal. Last week, the US House of Representatives passed a bill to fund the war in Iraq to the tune of $100 billion, but by the same token, they said that troops would have to start leaving by October the 1st. What would happen in the case of a withdrawal? Brian? Well, I think it's going to be bad if the troops stay, and it's going to be bad if they go. Uh, and it's very difficult to judge which will be worse. I suppose one less player makes it a bit less complicated. But, uh, you know, there are a lot of other elements involved in this, uh, including the whole, the region, the Iraq's neighbours and so on. Ali, what do you think? Do you think um, an absence of um, coalition forces would increase sectarian violence or dampen it? Um, it will most certainly increase sectarian violence. Um, I think Iraqis in the majority do not want the presence of uh, occupation forces. That's that's definitely true. But they do not want them to withdraw at this moment in time. Iraqis need the security for them to be able to work out their problems. I know it's taken four years and a lot of mismanagement. However, there are signs of progress. I mean, the new oil law going through parliament, I think, is going to really um, help address some of the concerns of the minority Sunni community. The review of the debathification law, again, that's going to go through parliament, is hopefully going to address some of the concerns. So Iraqis want the security to be able to work out these problems. And I think if the world and is patient enough, I think Iraqis can work through them and hopefully work towards a better future. Um, yeah, th there seems to be this idea that the presence of British and American forces is benevolent, is wonderful for a population who are occupied. I'm if sorry, the French, I don't know anyone who's saying well, that. No, I don't no, think that's I mean, the idea, in any kind well, of the idea, anywhere. <laughs> the idea that them staying, the occupation is a fundamental problem in Iraq. Britain and America screamed for Syria to get out of Lebanon because they said as long as there is a foreign military influence, you can't have people determining their destiny by themselves. The Muslim world, the Arab world, really has been plagued for centuries now, the last few hundred or so years, by Western government interference. And so if most of the attacks in Iraq, 75%, Brookings Institute says, are directed at the occupying forces, then they are a magnet for violence. So they should leave. What, what, are they do what is the benefit of them in Iraq? Ali, you tell me. I mean, the, the most high-profile attacks have been against civilians, and we see it on a day-to-day -day basis. 75%. Now, now, 75% attacks, fine, but the amount of casualties from the civilian population is not directed at what the occupational the forces. What is it's the main cause of those attacks? The 75, the overwhelming... To, it's to provoke Iraq into a civil war, bring down the government, and return Iraq to this minority rule Baptist rule, as well as religious extremists. This is a war with popular support. You can't have 75%. Wanting to stamp their form of Islam on Iraq. And you can't I don't have 75% of people 
for you to have 75% of the attacks directed at the British American forces, it is because there's okay, popular Okay, so how, support. how can you explain all the attacks on the civilians then? The, 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 the dozens every day, the hundreds every day. There are attacks on civilians which has been roundly condemned by all in Iraq. Yeah, Sunnis have condemned it, Shias have condemned it. We've, everybody's and condemned. so you think but because the occupation for if they leave, these attacks are going to stop? Well, if they leave, you will not have Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo. You will not have, no, you'll have the brutal occupation. The occupying forces, according to the Lancet, have resulted in the death, the occupation has resulted in the death of over half a million Iraqis. I think the, the casualties point is important because, I mean, the number of British and American military casualties mm. is very, very small compared, compared to, to how the, many the civilian deaths. There's a lot of internal religious conflict going on that has got nothing to do with the, the foreign presence. I mean, the foreign presence is a problem, mm. and I'm not sure what the troops are doing, but I still feel that if they left... It would, just create a uh, it would get worse, almost. possibly. For example, sorry, just a minute. Sure. The, I mean, the new security plan in Baghdad um, has led to a decrease in sectarian violence. Now, this is what we'd like the uh, occupation forces to do, provide a secure environment so that sectarian violence will drop. On the theme of sectarian violence, we asked our Iraqis what they thought about this Shia-Sunni divide. They didn't seem to think that it was insurmountable. Especially in Baghdad, there is not a single family that can be said to be Sunni or Shia. They're all mixed. Yeah. Very often I found two brothers from the same father and mother. One will say I'm Sunni, the other one will say I'm Shia. And when you actually examine their religious views, neither was really one or the other. And, and this is the problem in dividing the city and saying, well, this is the Sunni part of the city or the Shia part of the city. You cannot divide the people as this. But obviously there, is, there, there has been... A, 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 an influence both from outside and from within that has been to, to create and to foment this, this divisiveness. People are using religion to just justify what they are doing, glorifying this Al-Qaeda or whoever. You, you cannot govern without religion being there, but there is a difference between letting religious values dictate the way things should be done, and mm -hmm. the other thing is to use religious values to justify political yeah. short-term goals that you may have. Uh, and what we've seen in Iraq is this, that there's been on one side uh, a political use of religion from the top and also from the bottom, from people who have simply political economic reasons to, 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 be, to be upset and uh, using it. Brian, is religion being exploited and manipulated? Obviously, yes. Uh, I mean, my, my impression is that if the country doesn't just fall totally apart... Uh, we will eventually end up with something rather similar to Lebanon where there are a number of en enclaves of different groups. In the meantime, I mean, th there are very mixed populations. Ali, what do you think? Um, the thing about Iraq that's quite different from anywhere else is it the both sects are so mixed in together. I, again, my family's half Sunni, half Shia, mm. and I think, I mean, a large, large proportion of Iraq's population is very mixed. So the idea that it will split into different enclaves, is it's, it's, it's going to be difficult. I don't see how it will happen because, as I said, you can't really demarcate mm. areas, you can't really demarcate within families. The problem is we can't escape the fact that Iraq has gone through decades of Sunni minority rule. And I think what we're seeing now is the majority Shia population and also the Kurdish population that has also been alienated from power, trying to gain more representation in government. And then we can see the backlash from the rest of the Arab countries as well as the minority uh, community in Iraq at the moment. So people are using this sectarian card and I think they're going to continue to use it. But as I said, Iraq is so mixed that I'm optimistic that it's not going to result in another Lebanon. 
bearing in mind that nothing can be, can be done without addressing the security situation, does anybody have any ideas about how it can be improved or at least be created? Brian? No. No, you have no ideas? No, I, th I think this conflict will run its course, basically, and that will take some time. Ali? As an Iraqi, I, I have to be optimistic, mm. and I think I still feel if if the Iraqi government and the coalition forces can guarantee uh, Iraqi civilians' security, mm -hmm. then we've got a window of opportunity where Iraqis can solve their problems. Taji? Um, I believe that Iraq can be solved. After all, these are people who live together, you know, Sunni, Shias, whatever their differences are, for 1,300 years. And we shouldn't forget that. And I think just to rubbish and say Islamic rule, Islamic governance is just, you know, is historical, well, it had a far greater and longer success in Iraq than you know, what, Saddam's rule, which lasted 30-something years. I think in the absence of the occupation, Iraqis can sit down, come together, unite around Islam. There's a lot that binds them together. Finally, let's look at Iraqi life in Britain. We asked our Iraqis what kind of support they got from other Muslims here. It's all just, yeah, feel sorry for Iraq. It's so sad to see Iraq. But nothing, nothing action, really. But it depends, maybe on... Uh, individual cases maybe people can help their neighbors or but not on the large scale no the thing always happens is that everybody saying oh it's so bad what's happening in iraq but nobody seems to have any any understanding Understand, of what the issues yeah, are or what's happening mm. um, and people have very simplistic views i think one of the things that upsets me personally is when I see that people have a very simplistic view of what's happening in Iraq mm -hmm. and they just attribute all this, it's all because of the occupation, it's all yeah. a conspiracy and there is this conspiracy theory mentality that it's uh, it's the Israelis, it's yeah. the British and the Americans who are doing all the bombings mm -hmm. because no Muslim will ever do that. Yeah. And they blame the Iraqis. Uh -huh. All the Pakistani, which whoever I met, they say, oh, you brought the American, you did that. It's really hurting when they, yeah. they blame us for what is happening to us. How can British Muslims become involved in your struggle? How can they help on a practical level? What can they do? Understand what is happening there, understand the problem, understand the Iraqi people, listen to us, hear what we are saying. It is not what they see on this satellite channel. The situation is totally different. I think if they can understand, then maybe they can help. Building on what she says is that people need to understand that they cannot make Iraq into what they like Iraq to be. They just have to understand and admit that Iraq is, is what Iraq is. We cannot live in, in, in utopias or dreams about each other. That We just have to you know, face the reality. And the, the, the problem is, is that the Iraqis on the ground know this very well. Yeah. It is those who are coming from outside so. who are coming in and saying, well, we don't know this. Ali, do those experiences chime with yours? Pretty much. I mean, I've, I've lived in the UK for most of my life. Well, my, my parents fled Saddam's regime, and during that whole period, no, when I discuss anything with the other Muslims, they wouldn't have the time. They'd say, no, Saddam's great. He's, you know, he's treating you guys well. He's your leader. You have to put up with him. And the moment the coalition forces invade, oh, you know, it's, it's terrible what's happening to you. You know, you're, you're being killed and, you know, we have to, you know, resist the occupation. And I'm thinking, well, where were you a few years ago mm. when we were, you know, being killed and in, in another set of circumstances? So ask them what you would you like or try and create an environment where they can actually 
you know, express their views and, you know, determine their own future. Brian, do you think there's an inconsistent approach to the Ummah? Just going on from what Ali was saying, that when under Saddam's regime there were no kind of British Muslims rushing to his, to his aid. Yes, I, I think you see it in various Arab communities uh, in Britain where people tend not to criticise their leaders very much and they'd like to blame it on other forces outside the region. This issue is posed as a question for British Muslims, but, mm -hmm. I mean, surely the British people as a whole have a huge responsibility for what has been unleashed in Iraq. Mm. And we now have hundreds of thousands of refugees leaving the country. Yeah. And what are we doing to help them? Next to nothing. There are even people who've worked as translators and helpers for the mm. Americans who are not being allowed to take refuge in the United States. I mean, they have no life left in, in Iraq because they will be targeted. Mm. Taji, what do you think? Well, I, I think we need to be careful to you know, say that all the Muslim communities mm. like this. Yes, there has been a growing awareness, but, for example, my organization, our members were killed by Saddam in the 60s and the 70s. So to say that people did not oppose Saddam, I think what happened was it wasn't fashionable many years ago in the West to highlight the reality of what was going on in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in Saudi Arabia. But going forward, I think that the Muslim community here is being a voice for the Iraqis to speak about the oppression, the occupation, to speak against but the injustices. But only it looked like their civil liberties were going to be taken away. People spoke against even before that. Look, people speaking about issues that concern them globally, it, surely that's a good thing. Ali, do you have anything final to say on that as our studio Iraqi? Uh, Iraqis have never had a voice up till now. They're starting to find their voice, and I agree, you know, they're arguing more than discussing at the moment, but I think they should be given the time and opportunity to find their way forward. Thanks to our guests, Ali Latif, Brian Whitaker and Taji Mustafa. That was Islamophonic. It was produced by Francesca Panetta and presented by me, Riyaz Atbat. Until next week, Wa Salam. Guardian Unlimited.